you're listening to KSQD Santa Cruz at 90.7 FM. I'm your host, Jacob Sheckman, and I'm part of Your Future is Our Business, a Santa Cruz County nonprofit that helps students ages 10 to 18 by exploring careers and connecting them to adults through programs such as college and career expos, career panels, and other work-based learning activities. You're listening to our show, What to Be, where we interview and highlight the career journeys of inspirational people in Santa Cruz County. If you've ever thought, how did they really get that job? Or what is that job even actually like? Then keep on listening. We would like to remind listeners that the views and opinions expressed in this program do not necessarily represent or reflect those of Natural Bridges Media or Your Future is Our Business. Please note the information provided during this program does not reflect this career in its entirety. All right, and today we are joined by Aaron Slosberg. Thanks for being here, Aaron. Thanks for having me, Jacob. It's good to be here. Yeah, man. And Aaron is here today to talk about being the Director of Student Programs with the global company Where There Be Dragons. (laughs) Now, what is that? Yeah, it's the name usually raises eyebrows when people first hear it. We've had people think we're a a video game company or some like (laughs) offshoot of Game of Thrones. We've actually been around for about 30 years, and we run educational travel programs all around the world primarily for young adults ages 15 to 22, so high school and college students, but also more recently working with adult travelers. And the name itself is kind of integral to what what we do in terms of our story of, as a company. We we were started in, in China in 1993, and those were our first programs. And in China, they had a tradition of map making, where on the map, if there was an area that they didn't know a lot about, they would draw or stamp a dragon on the map. So there's this expression that was to go to kind of the lesser explored places or the unknown places was to travel where there be dragons. Wow. Okay. And so we really try to take our participants to parts of the world and even within those those countries and communities to kind of marginalized areas and areas that are difficult to access kind of lesser explored places. And, and then it has this kind of a double meaning because we really see travel as a lens for self-discovery and clarifying our own values and our own place in the world. So it's both this journey of going externally beyond the map's edge to where there be dragons, but also within yourself to have that mirror uh, for reflection on our own lives at home. Okay. And so this program is is for, for young students. What's How old are you students usually when they come into your program? Most of our students are in high school or starting college. So the majority of our students are kind of in the 15 to 19-year-old range. So we work with a lot of students on our summer programs and programs throughout the year for high school students. And then we do uh, a lot of gap year programs for students taking time off in between uh, high school and college. Can you tell us more about some of the, the values of Where There Be Dragons? Is there anything more uh, more specific? What is what is the mission of, the, of your program? The mission of the program is really to to foster intercultural understanding and awareness. And so we really believe that education needs to extend beyond the classroom and that when we talk about values-based education and how do we actually clarify and solidify what it means to be a compassionate, kind person in the world and to do that in a way that's mindful, that you can't really learn that from a book or a documentary, that you have to be interacting with people and whether we do that in an international intercultural setting, but the work really extends into our daily lives in terms of just seeing other people and understanding other ways of life and, and having that interaction actually informing our own ways of being in the world. And how did you find your way into this program? I started in experiential education. So when I, I went to UCLA and at UCLA, I got pretty involved and they had a outdoor leadership program. 
And so I kind of did that on the side as a job in college that was guiding rock climbing, backpacking, sea kayaking, kind of all these outdoor adventure activities, but also with the experiential kind of wilderness education component. And I just loved working with groups. And I speak Spanish and spent quite a bit of time in Central America, specifically in Guatemala. And after college, wanted to do that same type of work with groups and students, kind of that kind of holistic place-based learning approach. And so I started to look at ways to do that internationally. And someone actually recommended Where the Bay Dragon. So right before I was starting a PhD program and for grad school, I led a six-week summer course in Guatemala wow. as an instructor. Wow. And it was it was just kind of a mind-blowing experience for me. And And honestly, the juxtaposition of leading this kind of holistic education program with students that's really focused on mentorship and a more kind of place-based approach to learning. And then going into grad school where I was in a library doing research 40 to 60 hours a week, it was just, the contrast was really clear to me that this type of educational model resonates a lot more. Yeah. Specifically the experiential one, the getting out there, not, not being in the library forever. And also repositioning myself as the kind of, we talk about the sage on the stage type Uh, education, where this traditional model of teaching and learning is that you have an expert who has the answers. And as a student, your job is to be this passive recipient of knowledge from that expert. And so that person is the kind of sage that's transmitting the knowledge to you. Whereas we really believe that we're facilitators and we're creating and presenting opportunities for our students to discover that learning on their own. And so our role is really to set the stage. So we say like we're guides on the sides rather than the sage on the stage, that we're in the circle with the students, ensuring that it's a safe experience. And and also we have a really intentional progression of learning and challenges that we're trying to put the students through. But the the actual engagement and learning, it's really up to the students to do that on their their own and, and engage with opportunities rather than sitting up there and lecturing right. and telling him and sharing my expertise. Like that's going to happen, but in these much more organic kind of ways. And so how do you encourage your students to do that on their own? I imagine that that can be young. I, I think about when I was 17, 18 years old, finding that motivation to go out and to be engaged wasn't always there. So how, how do you push that? Fortunately, working in international context, so much of the curiosity is already there just by being in a different, a new place that's unfamiliar. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so unfamiliar contexts spark curiosity naturally. So we have a real advantage of just being able to take and students to these really incredible places uh, that present a lot of questions naturally to explore. But in terms of engaging that type of learning mindset with our students, it's really about putting them in a place of self-directed learning from day one. So moving away from this idea of that they're a passive recipient of knowledge and that they're actually actively creating their learning. And so by do- doing that, like if you were a student of mine on a, when you were in high school, for example, on the first day of the program, I might start to talk to you about why did you choose to come on this program? What are your goals? What do you, what do you hope to get out of it? And then create a self-directed learning plan for you based on what your questions are that are kind of burning inside of you and to see how that might manifest in the program and how we can help you explore those questions on your own. And what that does is it makes you accountable to your own learning. So rather than me saying, this is what I hope you get out of the program and this is my, these are my goals for you, we're flipping that to you're saying, these are my goals and I'm here to support you in it. So we're moving towards this kind of more collaborative learning model. Yeah. yeah. And so let, let's go a little further back. I want to know more about your your personal background in education and career. How, how ultimately did you end up there? Did you end up where you are today? How What was the beginning of your path? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, I think 
it definitely starts at home for me. I was really fortunate to have parents that are, I would describe as lifelong learners, very curious, always reading just like lively discussions at home. And so for me, I felt like I had a really engaged childhood just with my environment and, and learning. And so that translated into my own more formal academic studies. And I wanted to be a professor for a while. And so I was looking at basically, I was, I was in a graduate program for international economic history. And so specifically looking at the United States business relationships with other organizations and how U.S. corporations outsource their labor supply chains and what the relationship was between essentially multinational corporations and undervalued labor supply, like we could call it sweatshop supply and stuff like that mm -hmm. in other countries and how that related to labor movements back home. And I was fascinated with that because it came straight out of my travels. I, my first job out of college was in Guatemala. And I was teaching at an academy there, which I didn't know this beforehand, but it was a private Korean academy. Oh my and God. so I got hired. I thought I was going to be, you know, working, I assumed, with mainly Guatemalan students. And I went there as 100% Korean. And actually, most of the, <laughs> the administrators didn't speak Spanish or English. It was like full Korean immersion. So here I was, 22, 23, starting this job in Guatemala City. And I had no idea there was this huge Korean community there. And so it kind of sparked this exploration of what, what's going on? Like how did this community evolve? What's, what's the story? And, and the story was that essentially a lot of Koreans had migrated to Latin America to manage a lot of production and manufacturing, primarily in like textiles industry. So uh -huh. clothing, shoes, that sort of thing. And so they operated a lot of factories there. And so I would go to the factories and start to talk to people and hear their stories and like start to kind of flesh out the history of what was actually happening on the ground for people living these lives. And I think that kind of experience of hearing people's stories directly was so much more meaningful than than reading an economic history book, sure. which was like primarily what I was doing in graduate school, which is, has its its own merits, of course. But I think for me, the more human-centered side of that, of actually listening to people's stories and engaging on the ground, and I, that was so impactful for me. And I realized, well, how can I facilitate this for students? How can students be having these connections with people that are, are really living a pretty radically different life in terms of their daily and what they're doing on a daily yeah, basis. things that we can, it's hard for us to imagine. Yeah, and yet still finding a ton of commonality just in those basic human needs of, of family and community and happiness and, and people wanting the best for their children and for their communities. And, and I think there's something really powerful in having very externally, materially different lifestyles, but finding that the basic human motivations are the same. And to me, that's a, a primary source of of empathy and compassion in the world. And I think we just need more of that yeah. everywhere. For those who are just tuning in, you're listening to What to Be at KSQD 90.7 FM Santa Cruz. I'm Jacob Sheckman. And today we're speaking with Aaron Slosberg and learning about his journey to becoming the Director of Student Programs with Where There Be Dragons. I, does anyone ever get over how cool the name of that company is? <laughs> no, I think it's it's always a it's always a source of laughter for us a little bit too. Even that we've been around for thirty years, you know, we still have people always comment. We comment on ourselves. We yeah. always are making jokes about That's it. Sure. <laughs> how do you get students to find your program? It's a good question. There's really 
kind of two primary ways that students come to Dragons. One is through kind of open enrollment. So students that hear about us through word of mouth or through our website, we attend different like summer opportunities or gap year fairs or do presentations at different schools. We do something called the Global Speaker Series, which we offer presentations in classrooms, primarily high school classrooms, about global topics from our instructors, from our staff, and students hear about us that way. Yeah. And that's how most of our students come through. About two-thirds of our students come through those kind of that kind of open enrollment, just hearing about us and signing up and applying. And it's really open to anyone in, in the age range. And then the other way is through what's called our partnership programs. And so schools and universities will will essentially reach out to us to develop a custom program for their student body. So it might be based on a class theme, you know, for example, um, we might have a group that's really interested in environmental conservation in Indonesia. And so they would say, we want to do a, a two-week program with this marine biology course there. Is that something you all can help facilitate? And so we'll create a program and itinerary and actually have our staff that's facilitating it in conjunction with their faculty or teachers. Sorry, I, yeah. I have to I have of to course. ask you to clarify. Just just to be sure, I understand you're setting up a program for this. We'll stick with the the example of students who want who are invested in Indonesia. Yeah, you're setting up a program for them to make a trip and travel there. Well, yeah, yeah, we're yeah. planning the whole trip. Okay. from yeah. start to finish and accompanying them and using our global networks wow. to set up a program that is really kind of inaccessible to the normal traveler. Sure, I'll just say. Yeah. I mean, Indonesia, I speak Indonesian. And so I, I studied Indonesian for two years in graduate school. I've been going there for over 10 years. And I can say that most of the people that go to Indonesia go to Bali, which is a wonderful place, but very, very heavily touristed. Sure. And so to really like break beyond that kind of tourist bubble of these kind of funnels that that most people go, you need to have some kind of um, connections or right? yeah. some people that speak the language and, and have real on the ground knowledge. And that's what we offer. I mean, that's what, that's what we do. And we do that for families as well. So we have some families or individuals or adults that also will contract us to set up that kind of a program for them. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Tell me more about what, about your role with Where There Be Dragons. I want, what, let's just say yeah, you show up uh, on a Tuesday. Where, uh -huh. where do you even show up? Do you have an office here in Santa Cruz? I don't <laughs> Yeah, I so I moved to Santa Cruz about six months ago. I okay. living in Colorado. Our our headquarters are in Boulder, Colorado. That's right. Yeah, and I was based there for the last eight years, and I've been working with Dragons for about eleven years now. Um, so my first three years were pretty much primarily in the field as an instructor, as an educator, working with students, and then I, I've held kind of a variety of roles uh, from our Latin America program director to our Indonesia program director to director of risk management all sorts of things. And this kind of, I've been in this latest role for the last three or four years. And I work out of a co-working space now in Santa Cruz. I grew up in the Bay Area. I was excited to come back to California for a bunch of reasons. It, it, the timing worked out. So I work remotely from kind of a co-working space downtown. Mm -hmm. And you know, a lot of my time is is interacting with our administrative staff that oversees our programs directly. So I work a lot in our staff hiring, hiring the the teachers and educators that are actually traveling with our students. I work a lot with our curriculum design, so planning our our programs, our itineraries, um, kind of all the operational side. And then I work a lot with our kind of in-field response. So you know our risk management team and responding to issues that might be happening globally and and then ultimately just accountable to our primary stakeholders, which are really our students and families, the communities that we work with globally, and then our instructors that are the ones that are actually facilitating programs. Yeah. Now, 
you talked about it a little bit when we first came in. Yeah. Global response to coronavirus right now must be very serious for you and your whole company. Yeah, it's been a it's been a scary time, I think. There's a lot of uncertainty and uncertainty is for people interested in traveling can it can be scary and it can create a scary atmosphere to to go abroad and um kind of a hunker down mentality which we understand and then we've you know been able through really diligent and cautious approaches to risk management continue with our programming pretty much interrupted with the exception is that of of having a group in China that we had to relocate to Taiwan which we were able to do which was kind of in the initial outbreak and travel restrictions were emerging and we needed to get them out of China. And so we actually were able to reroute that program to Taiwan with our resources. What sorts of interactions are involved to make that rerouting happen? How, how many people do you have to talk to? What, what's happening behind the scenes to, to help these people go somewhere more safe? It, it's a lot. It's a it's a big part of my role and, and a lot of my colleagues. Fortunately, we have because we work in about 20 different countries, we have already established networks in a lot of these places. So we have really trusted and vetted contacts, whether that be homestay families or language teachers or apprentice mentors in those places. So fortunately, we, we're not developing something on the fly from scratch, which we wouldn't really feel comfortable doing. So we're able to kind of tap into our existing networks to move them there. But for me personally, a, a lot of that communication is, is happening with with families and, and our staff in the field and coordinating what's actually happening with like rerouting flight itineraries and, and just ensuring that, that everyone is, is comfortable with these, with these decisions and providing a lot of context and communication about about what we're what we're doing and why our why our rationale is that we feel like this is the best decision. You yeah, know, so. that's it. Just sounds in, incredibly difficult. It's a lot of people to bring together to to make something happen. Yeah, and that's where the cross cultural communication piece really comes in, and something that has been a big part of my my career is making those kind of adjustments and decisions and collaboration when we're working with people across multiple time zones, multiple cultural and linguistic backgrounds. And so the way that I communicate to a family that has their son or daughter on a program and they're from Manhattan and that's their background is going to be really different than talking to a local program coordinator that's working in a, a homestead community in, in rural Indonesia. You really have to put on a different hat in yeah, terms absolutely. of how we're approaching those conversations and, and, and the type of style that we're, we're using. Just a reminder for those who are tuning in, you're listening to What to Be at KSQD 90.7 FM Santa Cruz. I'm Jacob Sheckman, and today we're speaking with Aaron Slosberg and learning about his career journey to becoming the Director of Student Programs with Where There Be Dragons. Can you tell me more about what it was like when you were in the field? I, I guess I don't really even know what it's like. If you have a program of students, is, would you be the... the person in charge of their program out in, in Indonesia, taking them around? Yeah, exactly. I'd be there. So we have three teachers or guides that are with our student groups. And so I've done that many times for semester programs, which are three months long, and then summer programs, which are four to six weeks long. So I've spent collectively years in the field with students, which is different than classroom learning because you're really on 24-7 responsible for supervision yeah. and for the learning. 
And I love that work. And I think it's kind of, you know, it's one of the paradoxes of education, which is the kind of more experience or time you spend teaching, the more likely you are to be an administrator and not, <laughs> not actually teaching. <laughs> but for me, that's actually translated to working with our instructors. And so I do a lot of training and teaching within our instructor community, which I, I find really fulfilling too. But I do, I do miss the student, the student facing part as well. So. Yeah, it's sort of like you described earlier how uh, as as adults, we really only start to feel that openness and excitement to learn when we go travel to these very foreign places. But to, to be able to see that in, in an actual kid and help them learn about what the world is like, I, I can only imagine that's a very fulfilling experience. Absolutely. I think some of my most meaningful and and most proud <laughs> moments in life are from working with students, especially in that adolescent age range, because it's such a such a privilege to be led into someone's life as a mentor when they're figuring out who they are, their identity in the world, and and how they want to show up and what they're passionate about. And I think there's it's a really ripe opportunity for students who maybe grew up in a place where their identities are really externally defined. So when you're in high school, so many people are telling you who you are, like you're a soccer player, you're a musician, you're in this class, or you're with this clique of people, and you wear this type of clothes and listen to this type of music, and you should go to this college or do this career. And there's all these external signposts telling you constantly, this is who you are. And when you take a student and take them out of that kind of identity pressure cooker of that has really for maybe the the 16 years of their life has been what's defined who they are. And then you put them in a context where many of those things actually don't carry weight. They don't translate. If you're in a homestay in in Bolivia and the family doesn't care that you were (laughs) the captain of your debate team, the family doesn't care that you hang out with this person or what clothes you wear, it doesn't have the same cultural currency. So then you kind of have this really unique opportunity when those things fall away, those pressures fall away, those identity markers fall away, you have this opportunity to say, okay, well, who am I? <laughs> you know, who am I and and how do I want to be in the world? How do I want to act act with other people in the world? And I think even when we take away language facility, which so much so much of our communication is dependent on language, and you're in a homestead where you maybe are not fluent in the language or are even just a beginner in the language, you have to connect with people on a different level. And it's amazing the kind of connections you can form without even speaking the language. Mm-hmm. And then you realize like, wow, I, I'm connecting in these ways that resonate that are not based on 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 my vocabulary. How, how again did you find Where There Be Dragons? So I started doing kind of experiential education, wilderness uh-huh. guiding in college. Okay. And essentially wanted to travel and had some experience in Guatemala and speak Spanish and spent time there. And so I kind of started to look at ways to work with groups in the setting that I really enjoyed doing and to do that and and to travel kind of, you know, selfishly, yeah. I wanted to sure. to keep exploring and do that too. So that's kind of how, how that came about. How that fell into it. <clears throat> when I looked up the some of the information on the website, and you've talked about it, you've talked about the, where there be dragons helping students get a, a gap year somewhere. Can you talk about why you feel the gap year is important? In I can say the past like six people I've interviewed here, everyone has talked about have the importance of a gap year. I'm on a gap year right now, and I feel great. Yeah, <laughs> so that's great. To so hear. I, I want to hear hear from you. I think it's amazing that Where There Be Dragons offers this as a specific opportunity. Yeah, I, for a lot of students, they have been on this path that for the majority of their life, the rules of the game have kind of been set for them. 
in terms of completing high school. I think for the majority of students, the expectation is you stay through graduation of high school. And then for some students, that's where there's a bit more ambiguity, what, what might happen next. Um, but if, if, you're, if you're on this kind of college path to go to a four-year school or a two-year school, it feels really important to actually take time to evaluate what you want to get out of that experience and what are the kind of things that you're passionate about learning. Because when you have been in this educational path and kind of been shuttled along this conveyor belt, we can often kind of go on to the next step without much mindfulness about what our own drive and motivations are for learning. And I know for me and for a lot of the students I've worked with, that it would actually, it does a a huge benefit to take that time away to have reflection, to connect, whether that's traveling internationally, whether that's working a job, being in your community at home, it doesn't necessarily need to be some big international program like what we really focus on in our work. It's just important, I think, to have that space to yourself before just moving on to the next thing because it is a big rite, a yeah. rite, rite of passage in life. And so I think it's important to mark that with some some space and some reflection. And it's amazing what can kind of come out of that before moving on to the next thing. And I think our society could do a lot better job of marking these rites of passage. And it's a big one going on kind of into adulthood, so to speak, whatever the next thing is. Yeah, absolutely. I, we're going from usually living with family at home to being on our own. And so, yeah, yeah, it's good to have that reflection before. What sorts of advice would you give to students who might be listening to this and hearing, oh, there's an opportunity to get a job traveling the world? What sorts of uh, of characteristics or strengths should they be building and focusing on to help them achieve this maybe new goal? I think Having personal experience of developing the cross-cultural competencies and skill sets, because there are some hard skill sets that are really important to have to do this kind of work. Language skills are really important. Most of our instructors are multilingual and have spent time in those areas or in school learning those languages. And that can happen in a lot of different settings. But we have a lot of our staff, our former Peace Corps volunteers, they've done that. They have worked in international NGOs. They've worked in international education. So I think creating opportunities and trying to find ways to develop knowledge of another place is, is really important to be able to guide someone to that place. So I think we it's extremely rare that we hire someone who has never been to a country and doesn't have that background. We really want people that are kind of practical experts in that area and really know know kind of on the ground what what's going on there and then we also hire people that are that have expertise in facilitation and working with students so i think on the one hand you kind of have these regional expertise of a place that's language and culture and all those things and then on the other hand we also will hire people that uh, have worked in with leadership training have worked with facilitation with student groups have worked with different team building um, have worked as educators in all these different contexts and so those are kind of some of the primary skill sets that I think are important to cultivate to do this kind of work. All right, Aaron, we're pretty much toward the end here. Do you have any any outgoing advice, anything you want to give to our listeners and any other young students who might be on right now? I would just say that there's a lot out there in the world, and I had no idea that any of these kind of programs existed when I was in high school. I went to a public school in the East Bay, and then for me, success was going to a four-year college. I went to UCLA, and that was I was really proud of that achievement to go to this school. And that was kind of all that was in my world. And I really think I could have benefited by having a kind of experience like this um, when I was younger. And 
I encourage young people to see what else is out there because there's a lot of paths that are beyond the kind of well-trodden straight and narrow paths that are incredibly enriching. And if you would have asked me 10 years ago, if I would be working for a company called where there be dragons and doing this type of work, I would, I mean, it would have been like completely out of, out of my, my like realm of understanding. (laughs) And yet it's been so fulfilling and, and so kind of evolved in this way that was totally unpredictable and beautiful. And I think being for young people to be really open to that and to be open that there's a lot of things out there. And if you put yourself in places to be exposed to unfamiliar, maybe uncomfortable things that there's really beautiful things that can manifest. Awesome. Thank you, Aaron. I really appreciate you being here today. Thanks for having me. And thank you to all of our KSQD listeners for tuning in to today's career story. I'm Jacob Sheckman, and you're listening to What to Be with today's guest, Aaron Slosberg. And we learned about his journey to becoming the director of student programs with Where There Be Dragons. If you have any questions or would like to share your career story with us, send us an email at whattoberadio at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed our show, please join us again at 90.7 FM K-Squid Santa Cruz at 7 p.m. on Sundays or stream online at ksqd.org. Thank you for listening.